Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hello there, boys and girls, and welcome to another episode of Circling the Bases, proudly a part of NBC Sports Edge. I'm your host, Colin Henderson. Joining me today, as always, Mr. Christopher Crawford. Chris, we are recording this right before the All-Star Game, so listeners out there will have to wait until your show tomorrow to get a fun recap of the night and the All-Star festivities. Yes. Please, I had one question after the Home Run Derby last night. Well, I had a lot of questions, but I had one main one. Just... Just please try and explain to me how excited Nana Crawford was enjoying oh. the Julio Rodriguez experience. I saw your tweet beforehand. Yeah. I honestly thought about it somewhere between his 50th and 60th home run last night. And I was like, yeah. oh, she must be having a blast. She was having fun. I will say this. And I have got a bunch of grievances this week. And I apologize immediately that this is going to be my Frank Costanza show. She was having fun watching it. She was also not having as much fun as she should because can we please fix the tracking on these things, man? It is so hard to tell who has how many homers. And she was like, she was like, this is fun, but I can't tell which balls are going out because they're not going to right after they make contact. Mm -hmm. And two, the tracker is getting updated like afterwards. Like all of a sudden Julio Rodriguez went from having 27 home runs to 31 home runs at the very end of the tracking. We've got to fix this. And I know how to fix this too. Number one, aerial shot. You go right behind home plate and you show what's going on. We are not dumb. Number two, no announcers. The PA guy can be your announcer. He can tell you what's going on. I love Carl Ravage. I don't need to know what he's thinking about the exit velocities that are happening on these things. I just want to hear somebody count the homers so I know what the heck is going on. I don't think I'm alone here, Colin, either. I don't think you're alone. I'm certainly on your team here for the most part. The number of times I looked at a shot from that point blank, five feet in front of home plate shot, and Mm -hmm. I'm going like, that's either a pop-up or that's 490 feet. Like I'm not (laughs) entirely sure off the bat. I'm like, there are a couple of them. I was like, oh, he got that. And then I'm like, oh, it fell in short center. Like how did that happen? And I did notice myself turning to ESPN too. Granted, they had the stack cast stuff, so it was a little more like, you know, just the the love of exit velo and, sure. and, and launch angle to the point of like, okay, we get it. But it did show it from behind the plate okay. instead. So it at least gave a little bit more of a like oh, that's way okay, better. you can see it go. It had yes. like some of that top tracer like 
you know, golf tech that was kind of doing that stuff. That I found more enjoyable, actually, than the standard broadcast on ESPN, which was, like I said, I agree with you here. Like the double screen and then the right side of the screen keeps changing from one thing to another. Right. Trying to keep up to this. Carl Ravitch is giving the wrong home run totals (laughs) because up top it's saying a completely different one. Uh, how many times did Eduardo Perez basically have to be like, nope, actually he hit two more home runs. Than he just <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was like, okay, like I'm watching this and I'm trying to keep up with it. So I'm, I'm, I'm on team. I'm on team Crawford on this gripe. And it's, it's not, um, it's not Ravage's fault. He's got a lot of stuff going oh. on and stuff like that. It's just a completely unnecessary thing. And by the way, cutting to interviews while someone is doing the home run derby is one of the dumbest things yeah, i've yeah. ever seen my entire life i'd love to hire the what they have to say afterwards talk yeah. about it even though there's not a whole lot well i was trying to hit home runs marley that's exactly what was going on how many times can you really say that um i tried to hit fun. the ball far i tried yeah, to hit the ball exactly. far i swing yes. really hard i hit the ball uh, far that's yeah. what i'm going for here and then i will say too i felt a little bad for julio the fact that he hit something like 30 more home runs than Soto by the end of the thing. I mean, but that's the way it works. I mean, it's like, it was the Josh Hamilton. It was Josh Hamilton. That's what I, and it was my first thought was the Josh Hamilton move for like, Hey, look, we all remember Josh Hamilton as being the guy from that home run derby at Yankee stadium, but just the more no won it. Like technically his name's not on that sheet, but like we all remember. It's just like Vladdy jr. That Vladdy of all due respect to Pete Alonso. That's what I remember most from that home run derby. I believe Aaron judge also had, uh, one where he had like a monster showing and ended up not winning yeah, as well. But second one. Yeah. Yeah. That's just, I mean, that's just what we're going to take from it. And I will say this. I don't think Julio tired at the end. I think that his bullpen thrower tired. He threw a lot of pitches and he was perfect. He was throwing money. the he was money, money until the end. And then yeah. all of a sudden those got balls that were going, uh, Lower in, we're just going lower instead. And Julio was having to try to take him out opposite field. Obviously, plenty of power, but he threw a lot of baseballs. I do think that he kind of tired at the very yeah, end. Yeah, those pitchers started to have a little cut to the end of them. Yes. <laughs> at the end, it was a little, yeah. little two seam, little two seam movement on the back. Did end. you see the two seamer or whatever that was thrown to Ronald Acuna in that yeah. very first pitch? They're like, my goodness gracious, rock. sign that guy to a contract, man! <laughs> like. He got him to swing and miss at a like that cast wasn't was only giving me exit velo and (laughs) wasn't giving me horizontal drop. Yeah, Yeah, that was uh, but overall fun event, fun to see two of the very best um, young players in the sport in the finale. All due respect to Pete Alonso, who might be taking this a little too seriously, if I'm being completely honest with you. Watching him meditate while waiting for them. Meditate and, him uh, lift. Yeah, that was, lift move that, was, that was a little thing. But Meanwhile, I Albert Pujols is on the side, like, just dr- eating like a hot dog. Like, this is this is great, guys. I'm all okay. about this. <laughs> I have to ask you this real quick. All right. Did Kyle Schwarber, Adam Wainwright, did, was was that thrown? I don't, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, I think so. I think I, so. j- I just can't I fathom so. Kyle Schwarber's Herculean butt not hitting more than that home run. Yeah, that I mean, I but you know, you had to assume that like he. I, my personal belief is that he had no intention of throwing anything. He was yeah. just going for it. But then at a yeah. certain point, like, through his round, he's like, "Yes, you know what? This isn't my night. Let's give Pujols another forty swings." 
Yeah. And I think and that's for those, part of the conversation. For those unfamiliar, the Adam Wainwright is the the pitch that he left to a, a yeah. certain shortstop uh, for the New York Yankees who gets a lot of retuspect that. Uh, <laughs> and you know what? It was a great moment, but I'll always wonder if that was what happened. Now look, I, I, I will still remember that Flash Jeter walk-off single and yeah. screaming around the house as it happened. Like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't care. I don't care if it was put on a tee. It was everything I wanted from that moment. Amen. So coming up on the show today, Chris and I will talk about the other major baseball news that came from this from this weekend, and that is obviously the MLB draft. Just finished over the weekend. We just rounds one through 129, whatever it is. No one better to discuss all the new draftees and their future fantasy outlooks than our own prospect guru right here. So let's have him help you prepare for the next wave of big leaguers. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters. Both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Baseball is back in action this weekend, and on Sunday, weekends are simply better. With MLB Sunday leadoff, coverage presented by Uber Eats. Catch the Cubs take on the Phils on Sunday, Mm. July 24th at 11.30 a.m. Eastern, live on NBC and Peacock. To learn more, go to PeacockTV.com slash MLB. And if you want a chance to win $25,000 on the game, download the NBC Sports Predictor app powered by PointsBet and enter Sunday's free Grand Slam Pick'em contest. So let's get to the draft. And obviously, a lot of names being drafted here. We're going to focus on the first round, and then we're going to kind of open it up for you here, Chris, to kind of talk about a lot of these guys. Obviously, there are a lot of fantasy managers out there, myself included, who don't have quite as much time to watch high school you know, hitters <laughs> go at it. So we're sure. going to look for you for a little bit of fun here. And let's start off with our number one overall pick, a little bit of a surprise, at least from the betting markets, and that is Jackson Holiday, shortstop from Stillwater High School, Oklahoma. Welcome to Baltimore, Jackson Holiday. He is obviously the son of former Major League Baseball player Matt Holiday. Get ready to hear Gosh, that we're old. phrase a couple of times. And yes, that was my first and only thought was like, wait, this is Matt Holiday's son? Wow. Gosh, okay. We are so Somehow old. Andrew Jones's son, I made peace with that and I that didn't come to heart. But Matt Holiday's son, that one got me like, oh wow. Now I feel now I feel a little old. Um <laughs> obviously he goes to Baltimore, a team that is just it seems like is just starting their ascent from the dredges that have been the Baltimore baseball scene really since their postseason birth under Manny Machado in like 2015. Uh they're finally coming out of it. They are one of 
the two hottest teams in baseball entering the all-star break along with your Mariners. Yeah. Uh, talk to me a little bit about Jackson holiday and how do you feel not only about his former prospects, but also him being picked first overall ahead of drew Jones, who went number two, who was at least from an outsider's perspective, the more hyped prospect entering the draft. Sure. So before I get into that, I'm going to give you grievance number two. So the draft was the, the first two rounds took place on Sunday there were 80 picks. It took five and a half hours. That is unacceptable. If you are trying to make this a television event, that can't happen. Nope. And it's what another easy fix here. Make the first 30 picks of your television event. It's a three hour thing. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Asking people to pay attention to guys who might be good in 2026 as a television event is dumb. Rob Manfred, this is dumb. This is something you can fix very easily. Holy crap, there is no reason for there to be four minutes between picks. There's just not. These are not guys who are going to be helping your roster next year. That's just not going to happen. People do not care enough. I literally cover the draft for a living and have for a dozen years. And I don't care that much. So if I don't care that much, how much do you think somebody else who is watching this thing is? No reason for this. That's grievance number two. I'll give you my third grievance at the end of the show. Jackson Holiday. Uh, hey, first of all, he looks 12. I, I mean, if you looked at those so pictures, young. I mean, just looks a baby face among baby face. But this is a really <laughs> good player. He's not the best player in my draft. We'll get into that in just a second. But he's got a chance to hit for average, has a chance to hit for power, has a chance to steal bases. He is basically, and I hate comps, a left-handed version of Bobby Wood Jr. Like, they, <laughs> he doesn't have quite that type of upside to me, but it's significant. He has a chance to be a division one shortstop high floor because he's a pretty good defender as well, but he should be able to hit for average. He should be able to hit for power. We're talking about a long-term prospect though, a guy that you may not see until 2026 and 2025 is probably the most likely year. Again, to Baltimore, obviously we're not going to see him for a while here. This was a trend that we saw in the first round, especially a lot of high school players getting on this spot more this year than the last three years, at least in terms of average of high school players drafted in the first round, three of the top, I mean, four of the top five drafted out of high school. And the only one who wasn't number three, Kumar Rocker, who, you know, has his own interesting history there. But before yeah. we get to Kumar, let's talk about Drew Jones a little bit here. Cause like I sure. said, he was the more hyped prospect son of former uh, major leaguer Andrew Jones, the center fielder out of Wesleyan High School in Georgia. He goes to Arizona and signed an $8.1 million initial contract, a new yeah. record for a high school player coming out of the draft. Yep. He goes to an Arizona team that already has Jordan Lawler, already has a, quite a few very nice players in that yeah. farm system, especially from the offensive side of the ball. Sure. Uh, Drew Jones, I think, is going fits very nicely into what they're doing right now. And Obviously, it might be a couple years before we see him there, but this is the the beginnings of the you know escape from the basement that is like we just talked about with Baltimore. Drew Jones is going to be a major factor as to why Arizona finally starts to make that move as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is great. It's weird to say great value with the second pick, but he is <laughs> yeah. great value with the second pick. Pretty easily the best player on my board. And I I get it that Baltimore was probably Jackson Holiday is going to get a very substantial bonus as well. And they're saying that they liked him as the best player on the board. I think that's a mistake. That. I'll, yeah. I'll do respect. Um, but 
Drew Jones, I mean, especially in fantasy leagues, has a chance to be a star. Average, uh, probably 55, could be 60. Power, 70. Speed, 70. And we're talking about on the 2080 scale. Also, he's not quite his dad defensively, but I don't know if there ever was anybody as good at his peak as his dad defensively, but he is really good. We could be talking Mm -hmm. about a plus-plus club as well. The nice thing about that is, as well, Defense doesn't help you in fantasy. It kind of does because it helps him get, get, stay on the field kind of no matter what. Like right. this is a Christian Pache type defender, but with significantly more offensive upside. It wouldn't shock me if he was that rare fast track player. My one concern here is there's a little bit of length to the swing, so there could be a little more swing and miss than you're typically seeing. But if you're doing a dynasty draft or uh, an NL only draft or whatever draft he's eligible in in a keeper league, I think you have to take him with the first pick. That is your of all the players that are drafted. Obviously, there's a lot of high school players involved. He's one of them. So trying to project three, four years out is already a difficult task. But you see Drew Jones as maybe the guy with the highest ceiling when it comes to a fantasy outlook in his career out of this draft. Yeah, absolutely. There's one guy who's. I wouldn't even say he's close, but there's one guy I think who could usurp him if he reaches his ceiling. Um, but in terms of like everything combined and just the ceiling of being that center fielder who looks like he's going to hit 30 home runs and hit 270 and maybe steal 25 to 30 bases as well, I think Drew Jones has easily the highest ceiling in this class. All right. So who else did you have potentially going with him as as someone with that type of high-end fantasy outlook? Sure. So the the guy right below him for me, and not, right isn't right. The guy who is below him, technically, if you're right. looking at a list, there's just one little space between the two, but there might be a little more than that in terms of talent. It's Elijah Green, who was drafted fifth over ball, fifth over ball, fifth overall by the Washington Nationals. This guy's six foot three, two twenty five. He's the son of Eric Green, who some of you might remember was a pretty good tight end for uh, used him a lot in like Madden ninety five, ninety six. A real nice player there again. We are getting so very old. This guy has enormous raw power. He's already six foot three, 225 pounds as a player that doesn't turn 19 until December 4th. That's something to keep an eye on. I mean, big dude. So, you know, you will have to see, but he's putting up plus run times. There's easy plus plus power. Uh, there's going to be some swing and miss, but the ball just jumps off of this kid's bat as well. So a de- decent chance to hit for average, a solid defender, really strong throwing arm as well. He is that guy, that power-speed combo meal, that the type of guy who could be a 30-30 player very easily. Going to be a little bit more of a long-term player because he's not quite the defender that a Drew Jones is, but by 2026, 2027, it's still weird to talk about those years being like a realistic timeline yeah. for anybody. But yeah, Elijah Green would be my number two in that area. Another high school outfielder draft inside the top five. We talked about Kamar Rocker a second. Yeah. Let's get back to Ooh. him. Obviously, because I think this was one of the stories of the draft right here. Obviously, Kumar Rocker played this past year for the Tri-City Valley Cats. He -hmm. goes to the Texas Rangers to join his fellow um, collegiate teammates at Vanderbilt, Jack Leiter, which I found very interesting. The idea that if you had kind of asked anybody at the draft last year, if there was ever a chance that Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter were to somehow be on the same team, no one would have believed you. And now a year later, it's happening. Um, Texas goes up to go grab him at number three. There was a conversation that he was not going to go maybe inside the first round whatsoever, but does obviously all the way up to three. 
He was drafted number 10 last year by the Mets before the Mets decided not to sign him after seeing some red flags in his physical. Right. He went to the Tri-City Valley Cats, gets comes back into the draft, gets drafted three to Texas. Talk about him a little bit. Obviously, there is a conversation about health on his arm, although yeah. really how many pitchers nowadays, either in the high school or collegiate world, that isn't a conversation about. A lot of these guys are already having some issues just because oh, gosh, yeah. that's what happens. But he joins Texas farm system. Talk to me a little bit about Kumar and what outlook you have for him. So first of all, this is amazing. Like, I, and I've never been more surprised by a pick in my entire life. I had seen and talked to some folks that thought he might be going to Boston at 24, maybe even a compensation round guy at the very earliest. We were looking at St. Louis, who didn't pick anywhere near three. But this is also one of the things that I hate the most about this draft, because Kumar Rocker, nobody thinks this is the third best prospect in this draft. But what he is, is he's somebody that a team who didn't have a second round pick, it didn't have a third round pick, could sign. And he's already signed for $5.2 million. That's a savings of $2.39 million on their allocated funds. And they were able to use that to sign... Arguably, the, or they hopefully will be able to sign arguably the best prep pitcher in the class in Brock Porter, who they took in the fourth round. It sucks that the draft is not about the best player available. It's right. about who you can sign. It's not a good look. And it's one of the reasons why it's not a good television event. Correct. It is not interesting to me to see Kumar. But this is an exception because Kumar Rocker's story is amazing. The Mets did this kid dirty. And That's I think the that they and, and let's be honest, too, though. Kumar Rocker could have been offered a contract if he would have participated in the MRI uh, MRI program. I don't blame him for not participating in the MRI program because I think that's, ooh, I have issues with that program. There are serious HIPAA violations that I think take place with that program. But it is worth pointing out that he did not participate in that program. So there was, there was the Mets didn't have to offer him a dang thing, and, and that stinks to me. I like him. I have him as a top 10 fantasy prospect because – this guy's slider when it's on is an 80-grade pitch. I think we've all seen what this pitch can do when it's on. I struck out 179 hitters, I believe, last year at Vanderbilt. Looked fine pitching an independent league, fastball up to 95, 96. A ton of risk with this type of guy because velocity has fluctuated, already had elbow issues, also had a shoulder surgery. Shoulders, ooh, that is not good. It is not ideal. Having said that, I think he is somebody that you want to draft, but this is not somebody that you're taking third overall in a dynasty draft. This is somebody that I have ranked, I believe, seventh in my list, and and that's good. It's somebody that you mm -hmm. want to add to the system, but there are several prep bats that you want to add over Rocker. With Rocker, obviously, we've been talking about nothing but high school players so far in this Mm -hmm. Rocker, obviously the opposite end of that, a mm -hmm. older player at this point, at least in comparison to many of those who were drafted. Right. How much do you think that impacts, say, his ability to get to the majors on a relatively quickly yeah. then and start being able to actually provide fantasy output for your teams versus a lot of these other guys who you've been talking about ETAs in the 2026, sure. 2027 yeah. years? Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think that's a huge thing. And it's, I think it's the reason why they went with him over a few of these other guys that probably would have signed for a similar amount. He's ready to go. His, his mm -hmm. stuff is ready to go be contributing. I don't think we'll see him this year, but if you were asking me if he could pitch in 2023, I think absolutely. And you could fast track him and put him in the bullpen and just say, 
you throw nothing but sliders, dog. Every once in a while, you can throw a fastball, but we want you to just light up, light up these sliders. If you're going to develop him as a starter, you're not going to do that. But right. either way, I would be surprised if Kumar Rocker wasn't pitching for the Rangers, assuming good health, in 2023. Assuming good health, Todd, I mean, obviously, lighter and Rocker on the same rosters, yeah. teammates in college, now teammates in uh, in Texas and soon or in the Texas farm system and soon to be teammates for the big league club. I thought, I mean, obviously lighter was one of the top pitchers drafted last year. These right. two have kind of continually be, been linked for a while now. Right. How do you look at both of them as a duo when you talks to kind of changing Texas's fortunes moving forward? Yeah. I mean, the, the talent is no question there. Unfortunately, lighter has been kind of terrible this year. Um, but I think it's worth pointing out that they are doing some mechanical stuff with this guy. They've made some moves, but he has really struggled to find the strike zone. And the last time I looked, he'd given up seven runs in three of his last four games. This is kind of proof that there is no such thing as a fast track pitcher. Pitching is hard. And, you know, this is also, it's worth pointing out that that was a draft eligible sophomore who is still very young and was given a very aggressive assignment. But if those guys reach out, I mean, you're talking about a potential one, too. And Mm -hmm. you can't say that about too many systems right now. I can't name anybody right now who has a pitching farm system right now that has both a one and a two right now. So it's big for them. It's just there is a lot of volatility to go with it. Let's round out the top five. Going four to Pittsburgh, Tamar Johnson, second baseman from Mays High School Mm -hmm. in Georgia. A lot of lot of scouts really love this guy's hit tool. Maybe yeah. talking about maybe the best just pure hit tool of the class. Talk about him and obviously what you would project him to be. I mean, he can flat out hit, and he that's the reason why he ranks third on my list is because I mean, you I would never give a prep an 80 grade of anything but fastball because it's measuring velocity mm-hmm. or speed because it's literally just measuring how fast they run. If you wanted to say that this guy could be an 80-grade hit tool, here you go. It's absolutely potential. I mean, he stings everything. His swing is so smooth. And he's not just a dink and dunk type of hitter who just hits line drives. I mean, we're talking about a guy who has legitimate 60 power as well. The issue with Johnson is that he's he was drafted as a shortstop. Nobody I've talked to believes that this is a shortstop. He mm-hmm. is an average runner, and he's got a fringy arm. And especially with the shift going away, defense up the middle is going to be really important. And that's why you could actually see Tamar Johnson end up in left field. I think he would be a fine left fielder. You're going to give him every chance to play second base, I think. I know they drafted him as a shortstop. They also drafted Nick Gonzalez as a shortstop. And I think he was a shortstop for about negative six seconds before they moved him to second base. But this offensive upside is legit. The only reason I rank him below Jones and uh, Green and Holiday and him are pretty close. The difference, I think, here is that those three guys have the chance to steal bases. Johnson doesn't, but I put Johnson slightly ahead just because this could be a guy who hits 330. And I know that sounds hyperbolic, but it's not. He is that good of a potential hitter. Let's round out the the rest of the top 10 here. We've we've left the high schoolers aside. They dominated the top five college players dominating the next six. Jacob sure. Berry um, out of LSU goes to Miami. Cade Horton, the pitcher from Oklahoma, goes to the Cubs. Brooks Lee, the shortstop from Cal Poly, goes to the Twins. 
Gavin Cross, the outfielder from Virginia Tech, goes to Kansas City. And Gabriel Hughes, the pitcher from Gonzaga, goes to Colorado. Talk about any of those guys, anybody that you want to highlight. Sure, I'll just give you a quick rundown on each of those guys. Because I'm amazing. No, I'm not. But uh, Jacob Berry, a guy who was considered one of the favorites to be the first overall pick to begin the year, transferred from Arizona to LSU. A legitimate chance to be a 60-hit, 70-power guy. Horrific defender everywhere he's played. And I, I hate to use that term, horrific, but he we are looking at a first baseman or a DH. So the, the bat is going to have to max out. If it does, superstar offensively, but there is a lot of risk. Cade Horton is literally a guy who made this pick by being absolutely dominant in the postseason. Mm-hmm. A 70-grade yeah. slider. He has a 60 fastball as well. It's going to have to show some more com- better command. He was a a mediocre prospect coming into the postseason, and then all of a sudden looked like one of the best players in all of college sports. Some upside here is a fourth year, a, a guy who doesn't turn, I believe, 21 until August. So a younger um, arm who was just barely eligible for the draft. Um, worth a look. Uh, Brooks Lee is one of my favorite picks in the entire draft, a guy who would have been a first-round pick if not for signability. Good chance to hit for average, good chance to hit for power. Draft is a shortstop, probably going to play third base, but I think he has one of the highest floors in this class. Uh, Gavin Cross is a guy who has 355 tools. Good chance for him to be a solid contributor. I don't see a ton of upside. I think kind of what you see is what you get, but what you see is pretty good. I think he's definitely a guy to keep an eye on in fantasy leagues. Gabriel Hughes was a pretty significant reach to me, and a guy who I thought might go at the back end of the first round. This college pitching class stunk. I'm sorry. It's the worst college pitching class that I have covered in my grumble, grumble years doing it. And now he's in Colorado. I just think at this point, he's got to be off fantasy lists. Um, if he gets traded, somebody to keep an eye on because he has three pitches that can miss bats. But the the ceiling is kind of mid-rotation starter and the floor is mediocre or mediocre. Middle reliever, maybe a high leverage guy if everything goes right. But now you have to factor in the fact that he's going to be pitching in course right. field. So you mentioned Gabriel Hughes as a big reach. Is he the biggest reach that you found in this draft that a, that a team just went up and grabbed? Yeah, I think so. I, Rocker's a pretty big reach in terms of value, but I, I get the game plan there. So I can't mm-hmm. say it. I don't really get the game plan, to be honest, of Gabriel Hughes, a guy who made a lot of sense at the back end of the first round or, or something like that. I don't really see it in terms of um, – I'm, I'm trying to be nice here. This was not a good pick. Uh, right after him, um, at number 11, Kevin Parada, the catcher mm-hmm. from Georgia Tech, goes to the Mets. Mets came out of this draft, especially after last year and the Kumar Rocker mm-hmm. scenario and a lot of people dragging on them for how it was handled. They've come out of this draft with a lot of with a lot of praise for what they've been able to do. Talk about Kevin Prada and the rest of their kind of first two round picks because it yeah. seems like that package has been very widely accepted. Yeah, I was actually shocked that Parada fell to the eleventh pick just because of his position as a college catcher who hit twenty six home runs in I think sixty games. That's awfully impressive. Did it against a not great ACC and did it in some friendly hitting parts, but there's no doubt about this guy's power. The hit tool's not far behind. I mean, we're looking at 55-60. It wouldn't shock me if he was a 270 hitter who hit 30 home runs. The reason he fell is because 
there's a very good chance he's going to have to change positions yeah. and a very good chance that that position is going to be first base. Uh, there's a lot to like still. It's not bad value whatsoever. And you give him every chance to stay behind the plate. This has nothing to do with Francisco Alvarez, by the way. You just right. draft the best player on your board. Uh, right. But that's the risk here. But if he sticks behind the plate, I mean, he is an extremely underrated player. And then Jet Williams, if he was three inches taller, I think he would have gone significantly higher. He's five foot eight, 175, and the five foot eight might be a little off. But he can do a little bit of everything. A chance for a plus hit tool, chance to steal some bases. If your name is Jet, you are going to be fast. I mean, that's just the way legally required it, it is a legal requirement if your name is jet and you're not fast you have to change your name to gunther or something like that because if your name's gunther there's no way you're fast but he's a nice player he is not the steel that i think everybody is claiming him to be i think he's more of the 20th to 25th best player in this draft there's nothing wrong with that mm -hmm. but i do think the fact that they were able to get both of these guys in the system I don't think it necessarily makes up for losing Rocker, but it certainly is a, a nice consolation price. Let's talk about the Yankees here for a second as they kind of made a little splash. Once again, going back to the um, what's what's the thing? Uh, exit Velo and yeah. Gargantuan size well, because sure. it seems to be working out for them. They yeah. go out and grab Spencer Jones, the outfielder from Vanderbilt. Uh, He's gotten, I mean, for obviously he's getting Aaron Judge comps because he's six foot seven. And yeah. it seems like the and he just the ball absolutely flies off of his bat. Only difference between the two is that he's a lefty hitter and maybe yeah. might not be quite as good defensively. But talk about him a little bit as the Yankees obviously were looking at a Yankee team that might be losing their Aaron Judge at the end of this year. Could they have found a replacement? It's possible, and I will say this. The Yankees are going to out-rebound everybody. I mean, if you have Stanton, <laughs> yeah. Jones, and Judge, that's a heck of a front court for you. Wasn't a fan of this pick. Um, okay. A guy that I liked quite a bit out of high school. It's interesting. He was actually a two-way player out of high school and then yes. hurt his elbow. So that kind of put a, the, the whole pitching thing to the side. There's no doubt about the power. If you're six foot seven, 225 pounds, and you're playing baseball, you have – significant power there is a lot of swing and miss here uh -huh. and he is not the athlete that aaron judges he's not horrific i mean this is not a future dh but you are talking about a future left fielder i think here i the bat is going to have to max out it made more sense for me as a top 45 top of the second round um bottom uh in the middle somewhere around there would be great value at 25 i was pretty surprised but this is an organization that really value, values the exit velocity stuff. Mm -hmm. And him and uh, a guy named uh, Sean Locklear, who are, yeah. or Tyler Locklear, I can't remember which one. Sean Locklear used to play right tackle for the Seahawks. So that's how I remember that one. Uh, is that Those two were just absolute exit velocity darlings. We'll see how it plays at the next level. I think this guy was a bit of a reach at 25. Uh, let's talk about some of your favorite and least favorite picks. And I'll sure. let you expand that out from past the first and second rounds if you yeah. if you want. But give us some some of your favorites. So I first of all, I have to say congratulations to my grandson, Justin Crawford. Uh, mm -hmm. that the fact that Carl Crawford's son is going to play major league baseball. Holy crap, I'm getting old. I just can't get over it. Like how many guys in this draft are the sons of uh, guys that I remember being good players not all that long ago. Uh, Cam Collier is my favorite pick in the draft, a guy who I think probably should have gone in the first six picks to fall to 18 is really, really a surprise. And it has a lot to do with signability. It's worth pointing out, this is a guy who doesn't turn 18 years old until November 20th. 
That's young. And he was playing junior college baseball. He reclassified to go into the junior college ranks, similar to what a Bryce Harper has done in the past. He's not quite that talent, but a really good chance to hit for average, a good chance to hit for pop, solid defensive third baseman. I really like the value there. Uh, Drew Gilbert at 28 to Houston. Great pick. He kind of reminds me of Sal Frelick. And it's a kind of a lazy comp because they're both kind of smaller guys, but a good chance to hit for average and steal bases, a really quality defensive player. That's one of my favorite picks. Uh, Cole Young to the Mariners was excellent value. A lot of people compare this guy to Corey Seager. Good chance to hit for average. Uh, there is some untapped pop here. It's going to take a while to get it and might take a swing change. Um, Brandon Barriera, a guy who would have gone much higher if not for the fact that this guy just decided he didn't want to uh, take the risk anymore. And I think that turns some teams off. But in terms of talent, he was the best left-handed pitcher probably in this draft. Good chance for three-plus pitches. Throws them all for strikes. Uh, said that he was going to be the best player pitcher in baseball, so I don't think he's lacking for confidence. Nope. That certainly doesn't hurt. Uh, as far as my least favorites, we did talk about – I just wasn't a huge fan of that Spencer Jones pick. I wasn't a fan of the Gabriel Hughes pick. Um, Mikey Romero was a huge yeah. reach to me. Uh, a guy that I believe – like MLB.com ranked him 64 fifth and i would probably put him in that range just based on video was not a guy i was familiar with um you know a very good defensive player but i don't see a ton of offensive upside in that swing i think that's more of a utility guy you don't you don't take the fact that you took marcel meyer and decide if you like the guy you like the guy but i was surprised to see him go that high not my favorite pick um uh, Reggie Crawford, and again, I love all of my sons. That was a bit of a reach to me at that point in the draft. Um, but the biggest reach, okay, I've been covering the draft professionally, paid for. Like, I'm sorry that people have paid me, but they have. I've never not heard of a player that went in the first round before. That changed on Sunday night. Uh, Tampa Bay took a guy named Xavier Isaac, yeah. who I literally had to add to the system as he was being drafted. I've never had to do that before. Now, I talked to some scouts, and I will say this. There's 80 great power in his left-handed bat, and that's not something you could say about a lot of players. And if I was a little more invested into the draft as I used to be, I'll, I'll admit it. I can't cover the draft like I used to like because I have actual other responsibilities, but I pay pretty close attention to it. Right. I mean, I had literally never heard of this guy before, and a guy who was, I believe, committed to Florida – um, not a good athlete, a real question mark about whether he can hit for average. Clearly, clearly a pick that they set picked with the intention of signing under bonus to me because they took some other uh, prep bats and some prep players that are going to be maybe a little bit closer to slot or if not over slot. I have to say, look, I hope Xavier Isaac becomes the next uh, – See the next Prince Fielder and hits 50 home runs. Um, but the fact that I literally had never heard to him, heard of him before the draft, I think I have to call that questionable value. You. Well, you know what? If the Rays draft, if anybody else drafted him, we'd probably be on that. But because the Rays drafted him, somehow he will be an All Star in like five years for reasons unbeknownst. I would point to a uh, 2011 Tampa Bay draft where they had about 12 picks in the Fair top point. 60. And I would take a look where some of those guys go. I love Tampa Bay's organization, other than the fact that I would wish that they would spend some money. Well, yeah, other than they had some money. They, them, but yes. they, the, this whole they never lose trades thing, it, it grinds my gears a little bit. Well, they've definitely lost trades. They just they have, have, they're, they're very, very good at what of, they do. 
they're, they're very, very good, good at what they do on that front. Very you know what? You only got 10 bucks in your pocket. You yeah. find a pretty decent way of, of making that $10 go. One other real quick one. Eric Brown, the shortstop that uh, the Brewers drafted, was not a huge fan of that pick as well. Uh, average tools across the board, and the fact that he can play shortstop gives him a chance. At 27, I'd be looking for a little higher upside than that. Um, very good chance that he's a utility player. Um, but Milwaukee has done a very good job mm-hmm. with these picks as well. So. Yes, they have. Is there one player that no one's talking about that's outside the first couple rounds that you are, that you think has a dark horse chance of being someone fantasy relevant in the next five, six, seven years? If there was one player out there that you just have that feeling about, who would that be? I mean, it's cheating, but let's talk about Brock Porter because okay, – this guy was taken with the 109th pick yeah. of the draft. That had nothing to do with his talent, but you're going to forget about him because he was a fourth round selection. Uh, that's just how this works. Probably the best prep arm in the class. We're talking about a 70 fastball, a 60 slider, has shown the makings of a plus change as well, throws everything for strike, still has projection left. I mean, if you were telling me that any of these arms drafted, ended up becoming a fantasy ace, I would say it's Brock Porter. Dylan Lesko's kind of close behind, and he's another guy who fell because of injury concerns. But Brock Porter has significant upside. Now, the question mark here is not the stuff. It's whether or not they can get him signed. He's committed to Clemson. They did save $2.5 million, like we were talking about, by signing. uh, But that's going to be expensive. I believe that the slot value of where he was drafted was Four hundred and ninety-seven thousand dollars. It's right around there, anyway. It's it's a pretty low um, comparative thing. So you're asking him to take three million. I'm not sure if that gets it done. That's going to be real. Five hundred sixty thousand dollars. So you're talking about probably having to sign these other guys. And I'll be honest with you, looking at the draft class, a lot of guys who are fourth-year seniors in college, which usually mm-hmm. sign for well below slot. Right. So that's the question mark. Can they get it done? But if they can get it done, Brock Porter has a chance to be a legitimate fantasy ace. All right. Well, I think that just about finishes up our show today. And Chris, unless you've got anybody else you want to hype up real quick. Anybody else? Uh, no, but I want to do my third grievance. Oh, third, yeah, that's right. I forgot. You had you had you're going full Festivus on us. Today. I'm going so full Festivus. Holy crap, those Futures Games uniforms were terrible. Oh, that was awful. Oh my Who god. that? I got to know because those are the ugliest uniforms I think I've ever seen. I've seen my favorite uniforms of all time in the City Connect San Diego Padres uniforms and my least favorite uniforms of all time in the Futures Games uniforms. I'm not even going to like just Google them if you really. But this is again, this is like viewer discretion is advised type of thing because they are just horrible, (laughs) horrible uniforms. Real quick, um, since I didn't get a chance to talk to you about them. I did talk to David Roth about them, and he wrote, you, you love these City Connect uniforms for the Padres, right? I do. Oh, love Good. it. Good. Yeah, love easily it. easily won one of the City Connect uniforms, right? I'm trying to think. Easily won one? I, Washington's up there for me in a pretty big I love way. it too, but so, I just – here's I think, the thing. I, I still think the Padres take it though. I yeah, think the, the Padres have just such a cool – it's such a cool, funky look. Like, it's very rare that a lot of – that the City Connect uniforms have come out and I've been like, yeah. oh, I buy that even though I don't root for that team. That's one <laughs> I'd be like, look, I oh, have no problem. Yeah. I'll, I'll buy a Tatis with that on it right now and call it Oh, a dude, I've already ordered the hat. I'm super Perfect. excited to get the hat. We'll have it maybe – I don't think it will be here in time for our uh, show on Thursday, but – 
Uh, I'm super excited. And the reason why I like them so much better, and again, we both like the Washington Nationals thing, but they chickened out a little bit with the pink. Sure. They they kind of said, you know what, we're Could've not going to. Yeah. If you whether you love or hate the San Diego uniforms, you cannot deny that they went all in. Like yeah. this just makes me. I told this to David. Like I want to go to Bayside High and I want to go confess my love for Kelly Kapowski and like Get just line, sir. They are yeah, no kidding. Um, <laughs> but it is. Uh, it was just terrific. But man. Those futures game uniforms, oh, that uh, yuck! Someone, multiple people approve that design. Oh, that's, yeah, that's, that's the part point. that I, I looked at that and I was like, multiple people approve that design, and they, they like shook hands afterwards. They were like, yeah. "Well done, well done." Let's like applaud, applaud around the way. We totally nailed this. Yes. I don't know how anyone with two working eyeballs yeah. could look at those uniforms and been like, "No, that definitely deserves." <laughs> Uh, my buddy Chad asked a question, and so I'm going to answer it real quick, speaking of the Please. draft. So the Rockies had two interesting fantasy picks after Hughes. I'm curious which of those two you think will profile better in cores. The answer to that question is Hughes. Jackson Cox was the other arm. Right. Just a little more uh, floor, I think, with Hughes. Cox is a little more upside. Show me a high school pitcher that the Colorado Rockies have developed, and I will tell you yeah. that, that. I mean, that's just the thing. Well, but the high question school he asked pitchers you, already have a terrible, yeah. have had yeah. a terrible track record of yeah. of making it to the majors yeah. and being successful. Now yeah. throw in Coors Field on top of that. Just yeah, really going. He's going to be asked to to climb up a very steep hill. <laughs> Absolutely. But he asked about Sterling Thompson or the plus power of Jordan Beck. Really like the Jordan Beck pick. Sterling Thompson mm-hmm. is more of that fourth outfielder type for me. Um, He does have some speed. It's nice. Jordan Beck has legitimate plus power. And the fact that he's going to have plus power and get to play, play in Coors Field, he was a guy that I considered for my top 10 fantasy prospects, which is a list you can read on NBCSportsEdge.com. He's a company man, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, he is. is. That just about finishes up our show for today. If you enjoyed it, then please make sure you are subscribed wherever you listen to your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to rate and review us. Five stars, first round draft picks, both of us right here. That's what we're saying. And while you're at it, be sure to follow NBC Sports Edge on Twitter, YouTube, and Twitch to be informed of all of our live shows, Q&As, segments, articles, and more so you can stay up to date on everything around the league and join in on the action. You can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Don't Lie, and you can follow Chris at Crawford underscore M-I-L-B. Be sure to tune back in tomorrow as Chris invites Pat Doherty, that's right, our very own Roto Pat, onto the Ugh. pod to discuss all of, all of the fun surrounding the All-Star Ugh. break. So I'm make sure nervous. you don't miss. I know, you got to wash that one off. And while you're at it, be on the lookout for a big mid-season episode with DJ, Drew, Chris, and myself, available to listen by Friday morning. So until then, stay safe out there. And as always, thanks for listening. Dom Smith, 1-1, 20-20-whatever. I love you, Dom. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. 
Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.